welcome to Deep Rooted Healing, a contemplative podcast exploring the healing bridges that connect the body, mind, heart, and soul, including creative practices, touch, nature, spirituality, and community. I'm Emma Freeman, an artist, poet, massage therapist, and Reiki practitioner. I'm a highly sensitive person and sober. This podcast is a record of my own unfolding spiritual journey. May it be supportive for you in some way. I'm so glad you're here. Today I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with the amazing Zach Foster, who's a quilt artist, textile artist, facilitator, teacher, amazing human all around. And I reached out to him to see if he wanted to have a conversation about holding space because it's something that has been whispering to me for a while now as I practice holding space and feeling into what that means for me in my own art making practices, writing practice, teaching practice. And I find that term, that phrase, um, holding space, is really resonating with me and is intriguing to me. And so I was curious to talk to Zach and find out what it means to him. And um, we ended up having a really wonderful, deep, rich conversation together. So I hope that you enjoy it and I hope you find it inspiring. There are links where you can find Zach's beautiful community, the Quilty Nook, and all of his work on his website and Instagram. You can find all those links in the show notes of this episode and he shares them at the end as well. Okay, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Oh, well, welcome, Zach. Thank you so much for sitting down with me to have this conversation about holding space. Um, I'd love to start by having you introduce yourself and share whatever you feel like sharing about who you are and what you do in the world. Oh, I feel like every day I got to come up with a, a new answer to that question. I don't know, every day just feels so new and so different. But I would say that, um, you know, the broad strokes are that I am a quilt maker and a textile artist, a full-time artist as of recently as of last fall. And I'm also a human tumbleweed and I'm rolling around these days from place to place. By the time I get back to New York in a couple of weeks, it will be 10 months on the road. And so I've just been rolling all over the country to experience different things and, and meet new people and new friends. And, and I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here with you now this morning talking about holding space, which is something I think quite a bit about. So thank you for creating this space to talk about holding space. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'm, I'm so glad to explore it with you. Um, I'll just share a little bit of background about why we're talking about holding space um, for people who are listening. Um, it's been something that's been on my mind and my heart um, since I started my online community, which we'll talk about because you run your online community too. And um, the idea of holding space and what goes into it and the magic that happens inside of it is something that keeps, um, it's happening a lot in my life, but really I've been wanting to dig a little deeper into what it means for people who hold space, particularly with creative spiritual beings. Um, so that's really the, those are the roots underneath why we're having the conversation today. Um, so I'd love to start by asking you what holding space means to you in this moment in your life. For me, holding space can mean so many things, but I guess it would start with holding space gently for myself as an individual, as a person. Um, RuPaul, patron saint of all things, says that, you know, if you can't love yourself, how can you love anyone else? And so I, I think that holding space for yourself is not uh, a selfish starting point by any means. I think it is the only place we can start this conversation because all of our input, all of our data about the world, about our life experience comes through our five senses into this thing we call ourselves as a person. And then everything we do comes out through ourselves as a person. And so when I think about holding space, I think about treating myself with loving kindness. I think about treating myself gently. Um, 
I think about treating my work, my creative work, much the same. I know we'll get into that as well. But then I also think there's other facets of holding space, uh, primarily thinking about our, our neighbors and our society. We're thinking about marginalized voices that don't always get the mic, right? And wanting to hold space for all voices that have a stake in a conversation to be able to be heard. And I think there's definitely the online community that we can talk about, which is just an extension of a real life community. You know? And there's, there's such a thing as taking up space in the universe, like being a citizen of the universe and what that might mean. So yeah, there's all sorts of ways we can take this conversation and I'm here for it. So wherever you wanna go, let's go. <laughs> Beautiful, oh, I already love it. Like kindred spirits, that's great. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, let's talk about holding space for, in particular, for artists and creatives, and how how that feels for you right now, what that looks like for you right now, and what you what you notice that happens in the space that's held or that you hold, kind of what you bring to it, or what what are the qualities, what emerges in that space. Yeah, you know, I think to answer that question, I would want to back up just one one step and say how I've learned to treat my own creative process and my own work has really informed how I want to help other people treat their own creative process and their own work, right? And so for me, there was a there was a time, and not that I mean this still happens. But there was a time when I was heavily critical of my own work that I would look at it and think I would stack it up against all the other work that was being done out there. And I would just, I would cast judgment on, I'd say, this is not good enough. This is not measuring up to what, I don't know, but it wasn't measuring up and I wasn't happy, you know? And so I've, I've come to a place in my own creative process where I want to bless the fruits of my labor, never curse the fruits of my labor, right? Because if we look at something that we have created and we say, it's not good, that for me does very little to make me want to come back and create more. Right? And so when we think about how do we inspire creativity, maybe we take a page out of the first book of the Bible where God's made all this stuff and he looks at it, God looks at it and says, it's good, it's good. And that's it, right? I think there is, I know there is room for constructive criticism in the creative process but I feel like that often comes into play way too early in the game for many creatives that from the first stitch that we make or from the first paint uh, stroke of paint or from the first sentence that we write, we're already slipping from creative mode to editor mode. And we're saying that's not good. And that shuts us down. And so what I try to do with myself is to just keep it open, just create, create, create. And then once it gets to a certain point, then I can look back and say, okay, here's what I can refine. Here's what I can tweak to make it match what I have in my mind. There was a thread I was going for there. Oh yeah. And so I think that, I mean, there'll be times when I, I show something I'm working on to my partner and I'll just say, nothing but what you like. Just tell me what you like. I'm not ready for anything else. Just tell me what you like. Cause that's all I'm looking for. Because if we can identify what we like, then we can do more of it, right? And so this approach for creation has been working really well for me. Right? Not that everything I do is like, it's so great. Because it's not, like I look at some of my stuff, I'm like, Zach, that's like boilerplate. Like <laughs> you've made better stuff in the past. But uh, approaching work with a sense of lightness and with a sense of my goal here is to create something good helps me keep it real and helps me from being too hard on myself. And so that's the first half of the answer to your question, because the question is then, how do we help other people hold that space? Well, I want to encourage them to do much the same, to go easier on themselves, to give themselves plenty of room to explore. I found myself wanting to say there, make mistakes, right? But I don't even think that's the best way to cast it, right? Just Give yourself time to explore, to, to try alternatives, to see what could happen if. 
without having to rush to some kind of conclusion, some kind of summative judgment on the thing you've created. And if we can give ourselves ample space to play and to explore and to see where things can go, once we get to the end of that process, then we can look back and begin to critique and refine. But if we start in the very first moment, well, I'm afraid we're not gonna get off the ground. And so that's a lot of what I try to do with my community, the Quilty Nook, which is a space for quilt makers, but textile artists in general. I mean, some of us call ourselves feral quilters, right? Like we just, we're just out there just sewing whatever we can get our hands on, you know? And there's of course plenty of folks who do natural dyes and embroidery and all kinds of stuff. So folks are bringing a myriad of talents, techniques and approaches to the Nook. And one of the things that's been so, is beautiful to behold for me, is that um, I had had concern in first creating this space and how much, um, I don't wanna say policing, but how much supervision maybe that I would have to do. Would I have to like uh, navigate difficult conversations about people who were uh, being judgmental or critical or you know, things like this, you know? And I'm really happy to say that to date, um, we've had zero conversations like that. Like nobody on the note is in there like ripping people to shreds or like critiquing anybody. It's nothing but good vibes and support. And that's what I need to do my best work. I feel like that's what a lot of us need to do our best work. And so sometimes I joke that I create the note just to like meet the people I wanna hang out with, right? Because <laughs> it is such a sweet place. But it's true that the people on the Nook have made it what it is. I, in many ways, got the ball rolling, but they have shaped it. They have given it form. They have given it life. And so now it is this space that is wholly nurturing, wholly supportive, because we give ourselves room to explore, room to play. We praise each other for exploring and playing. And unless someone says, hey, can you give me some critical feedback? No one's even putting in their two cents on that. And I don't know how that happens. I'm just glad that it is happening. That's beautiful. Yeah, and it, it really strikes me. Well, okay, two different threads. <laughs> the first one, it really um, amazes me how you've cultivated that through the intentions that you've set for the community really brought that into being and then allow that really that letting go to allow it to become something together with everyone that's in there so you're co-creating together and um but to also be able to do that with a large number of people i'm fascinated by because you have how many people are in your community ish Ooh, over 600 now. Yeah. So that's, I, I'm, I'd love to dig, pull at that thread a little bit. <laughs> we'll keep with that mm -hmm. metaphor. Um, because I'm curious about, you know, all the things that you've shared that are happening, all those beautiful connections and conversations and encouragement. And it feels when you describe it, and when I've been in your space in the community, there is a sense of intimacy, even though it's a large number of people. So I wonder if you, we can talk about that a little bit. Like, how, how do you, anything that comes up about that for you? Yeah, I would, I would say that in any kind of community, the most growth happens in smaller groups. And so when I'm listening to your question, I can speak most easily to what I've seen happen in my different creative cohorts over the course of the last year that the Nook has been operating. So creative cohorts for me, there's five of them on the Nook. Each one has about eight people in it. And we meet once a month to look at our work, to share projects and to talk about potential paths forward with these projects. And what's been so rewarding for me as the facilitator of these conversations and the folks in the cohorts are seeing this for themselves now because we've been together long enough is to say, remember that piece you made last fall and then remember that piece you made in the spring and then there's that piece back in July 
And like, let's start connecting those dots for each other. Let's help each other see those, those trends, trends that are happening. And let's help each other see the growth that is happening. Right? That's where I think these, these small cohorts are so powerful. And not, that is also happening writ large in the nook. I can look at other people who maybe I don't know as well. Maybe I've never had a face-to-face -face conversation with them, but they're coming up with some really impressive stuff. And I can see how engaged they are. Right? That I can see how there's, there's a level of discourse, I think, that supports that kind of growth on the nook. In fact, somebody wrote their master's thesis on the discourse of the nook, like the quality of conversation that's happening because people either intuit or at other times explicitly say, here's, here, here's the best way to respond. Here's what is most helpful for me or here's what is most helpful for the people. Like just recently this week, I heard someone say, I find the best thing I can do in commenting on someone's work is give them something specific that I like. I think that's a great tidbit. That's the community supporting the community, you know, as opposed to just saying, oh, that's, what a beautiful quilt. Maybe you say, I love how you have that little patch of yellow on the top right corner. It really brings the whole thing together, right? And so it's the community supporting the community and growth. And so now that November will be our one year anniversary. And so we've been together long enough that we can chart all of those trajectories of growth that have been happening. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I love that you have um, these smaller groups for different kinds of connection within the bigger community, those layers within it. Um, and one thing that uh, popped up that I wanted that connects to what you just said and what you shared earlier. I one thing that I am noticing is a shift in myself from the way that I used to teach. Almost switching moving from a a model of like here's a technique. I'm going to show you how to do this in this class and then you'll come out with learning this project. And moving from that model to more of this holding space facilitation for, I don't know what's gonna happen, but there's structure. There's still, I'm creating a container with specific intentions, and then there's a lot of freedom to play. And I get the sense that you're also doing something similar. And I feel like one of the things that I am doing for myself more in my work and encouraging others to do is to hold the space in the creative process for the creative spirit or that other energy to move and take us places and be, be able to recognize it or feel it and follow it. Maybe especially when it steers us off maybe our original plan or original path. And then once we get down that road, then on maybe it's one step down that new path and we make decisions from there. So. Um, but I'm curious for you how in your own work and also when you're holding space for other people, how that shows up for you, that idea of holding space for the unknown, for whatever that mysterious force is. Yeah, I don't know if it's just my personal proclivity to want to facilitate more open-ended experiences in these workshops that I'm given on the Nook or uh, finding people to give on the nook. Um, or if it's, I mean, at least to my mind, I look around the, the technological craft sphere and I see lots of workshops on how to make X, how to do Y. Like those things are out there in my opinion, right? Like if you wanna learn to embroider, there's really great workshops that are already out there for that. What I'm most interested in is how can we take embroidery, for example, and use it to understand something about ourselves a little bit better. How can we take that needle and thread, go a little bit deeper in our understanding of the world? And so those are the kind of experiences I try to facilitate. And so while I find that technique-based workshops fill up faster, right? Like I'm gonna teach you how to applique. Ooh, people love that, they just sign up. Um, at the end of the day, it's just not what I'm, but I feel like my mission here is on this on this earth, you know? I'm here to do something else. And so I, I 
am a person who rolls through this world, gathering symbols, gathering images, gathering archetypes. And I have these daily experiences that help me understand things better. And I have seen how much having that lens has helped me become the person I am today. And I think there is something about that lens that promotes wakefulness and curiosity with how we interact with the universe. If you believe that the universe wants to be known, and if you believe that there are lessons out there to be learned that you can benefit from, you're gonna have your eyes open a little bit wider than if you feel like you're just um, a rat going through a maze, right? And so I feel like um, what I wanna do in my collective community experiences is give you the tools that you need, whether that's applique or embroidery or, or piecework or whatever it is, but then let's also try to find the metaphor in that. Let's also find the message in that for us. What's waiting in that fabric to be discovered? That's the place I want to get people. And so those are the kinds of experiences that I'm trying to create for folks. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Oh, I love how you said that. Yes, because that's, mm, it's so much richer and more meaningful and deep and healing, I find too. Um, yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Um, well, improv quilting has taught me so much about living. It's given me such a rich vocabulary to talk about how I want to present to the world, what kind of risk I want to take in this world, what kind of reward is out there for taking those risks. Mm -hmm. Improv quilting has given me this kind of safe place to explore. And it's given me the skills then, it's helped me develop certain muscles I can take out into the world outside the studio, whatever that is, mm -hmm. right? and, and explore. And so I want to help people do the same thing for themselves, go deeper into the creative practice in order to be able to turn it into a practice for living yes <laughs> my whole body's like yes um yeah so i i'm curious for you how how that has evolved in your creative practice in your creative life um has it been because i i find with a lot of students that i work with uh you know some people are kind of naturally um more drawn to like deep reflection and contemplation and other people it's a new skill for them to learn and they really have gone through a lot of life not opening up in that way and so it feels like there's kind of different doorways to find with different people and um and different skills to practice and i'd love to talk a little bit a little bit about your, I don't know, if you have any reflections on your own experiences, like growing into that way of being and creating. I believe that the universe wants to be known, right? That we can use our human consciousness to bring a whole new element, a whole new level to this universe. And so I, I, I want to say that finding meaning in our work is inevitable, whether you're practiced or not yet practiced, and finding those, those deeper meanings. That meaning wants to be discovered. And you and me, we want to understand the world we live in. We want to understand our heart of hearts. And so I think since it's inevitable, what helps us get there is to see others around us engaged in that practice, modeling that practice, modeling the asking of questions, modeling the interpretation of messages, modeling the application of those messages into everyday life. I think that's what helps us tap into some kind of electrical current in our work that we will inevitably get to. No human's gonna be shut out 
from the search for meaning. If you want meaning, you will find it. And meaning will find you. Yes. And we help each other along the way just by engaging in our own searches and in doing so modeling for others what that search can look like. Yeah, I, so something that I, I feel like I am tuning more and more deeply into is when I hold certain spaces and when I'm in certain spaces, like when I'm being held in certain spaces, that there's this charge, there's this co-resonance that starts to happen between people and this electrical current like starts to flow. And, and then there's this magic that starts to happen that I'm completely out of control of, but is, am still connected to. And it is then what emerges from that. There's something really about it being a group of people, um, that then like people's creative energy is feeding other people's creative energy and ideas are connecting and insights are happening and there's something that happens in that that i that is so rich and um alive in a way that i feel like um it's what i keep now feeling like oh this is this holds um, it like holds a lot of answers for me for what the world needs <laughs> or what I, I need, I think, because there's something about the human connection and um, that intimacy, but also the permission slips, all the things that you were saying too, that we can give each other by modeling. Um, but when it happens in this kind of safe container, uh, it feels like then, then the, these things are birthed in there that then ripple out in people's creative lives and the rest of their lives. Um, so I think that's what I was trying to say. I'd love to hear any thoughts you have about that. I don't think I could say any better than that. <laughs> Being birthed in a safe container, I love that. I, I would, the, the lines of the poet, well, I'm gonna tweak them a little bit, but uh, no person is an island. Yeah. It's so true. And it's a lesson I feel like I'm learning and relearning. But the, the work I create, I'm not creating in a vacuum. I'm not creating in a bubble. It is the fruit of many conversations and many relationships and many experiments and many afternoons spent looking at friends' quilts and many hours scrolling through Instagram and all kinds of things, you know? I think that everything I make is built on the shoulders of the artists and makers that have gone before me. It is built that is co-built with the people that happen to be inhabiting the planet at the same time as me. And, and I, I'm gonna throw in a third element, the element of like the Greek muse, you know, that it's not, it, it's the people that make the thing, but there's also just some kind of, some magical spark somewhere. Like I love the idea that Romans used to interpret the idea of genius is not something that anybody possessed, right? I think I probably got this from Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic. You know, if you've read the book, you can tell me. But uh, Romans used to interpret the idea of genius not as something that any one particular person possessed, right? You wouldn't say, you know, he is a genius, she is a genius, they're a genius. Um, it was a spirit that moved, right? And there's a lot of times when I think of, in my studio space, I look down at all the scraps on the floor of whatever project I've been working on. It's just a big, messy heap. And I'm like, that's where the genius lives. Like the little genius, this little spirit is down there, hidden inside all those scraps, almost like a genie in the bottle or something like that. And if I, if, if just the right constellation of, of elements comes together, well, then the genius comes out and rises from the scraps. Yeah. Has nothing to do really with what I'm doing other than just showing up and playing the game. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So creation involves a lot more than just any one person. It's the long and the short of it. It's everyone we know, it's all of our experiences, and it's some mystical third element. Yes, and I feel like also a, that um, receptivity and, and listening, that, that openness is such a key part of it too, being um, available to notice what's in the scraps or sense something that might emerge that is uh, maybe, you know, we didn't see before 
two seconds earlier. That that openness feels like such a key part of it for me too. And that um, that like lean, it feels like a listening process. That deep listening, like tuning in, what's and sensing, which all leads back to our bodies and our senses and what's happening really being rooted and grounded in here so we can feel out here and start to play with and move and connect and um and that's i guess that's that's the magic that can happen in that that co-creation in that happens in all kinds of ways whether it's with a pile of scraps on the floor or a group of humans sitting together talking about something whatever it is it's yeah that's the it feels like um a returning to our true nature as these interconnected beings um to me rather than this idea that we've been sold that we're these individual islands and um, the empowerment that that comes from that, I can feel it in my bones. Like, oh, this is this is vital. <laughs> this is essential to my well-being, and but also then all, everything that can happen inside of that, just naturally, because it is our natural way of being. You call the mind a core memory, and it's not really a memory; it's more just a a visual moved in one day and has stuck with me for years and years i remember where where i first got it but it's, it's been helpful for me on a number of occasions so i want to share it with y'all now and that is that this is visual of a person me you somebody in a house and maybe it's a big house right and you're looking around and you go oh there's some nice walls oh there's some nice windows nice rugs nice furniture but then that person walks outside the house and finds themselves on an expansive beach looking out over an expansive ocean with a big blue dome overhead and there's just nothing but space forever and so what once felt like a big capacious house now looks like just this little house built out of legos maybe and we're sitting on the beach just existing in the fullness of that space and if we were to rise up a little bit to bring it back to what we're talking about today, if we were to, if we were to get the seagulls perspective on that beach and we were to get up a little bit higher, we might look down the beach and I might see your house and you sitting outside on the front porch. And I might see some of our other friends sitting out in front of their houses and we can all inhabit that greater collective communal space. But it does require stepping outside of our comfort zones and stepping outside of our routines and stepping outside of our practices that no longer serve us uh, to move into the reality of a shared human experience oh. isn't it a good one yeah i wish i could remember where i first ran across it that's been so long now it's lost to the annals of history <laughs> <laughs> um one other question I just thought of um, is, wonder if we can talk a little bit about the differences, similarities between holding space for people online versus holding space for people in person in, cre in a creative context. Because um, I just had an experience where I taught uh, Last week, um, I went out and taught an in-person retreat for the first time since the pandemic. And I had been teaching online up until then, and that was feeling really good. And then I had this in-person experience and I was like, oh, it is different to hug people, to be in people's energy, to be in a physical place together. Something, there were definitely similarities but there was something different that happened there and i'm curious if you have any reflections on for you what you notice in both spaces my i think my primary experience with the difference is that technology 
and this is why we love it, offers some kind of convenience, takes away a little bit of the friction of having to plan and be and do. It just facilitates people coming together in, in ways and times that might not be possible otherwise. But in removing that friction and that texture, something's lost. And as, as, I, as much of a marvel as it is for me to hop onto an online meeting and see people from all over the world in one room together talking and sharing ideas, which is not nothing. That's an incredible thing that is happening now to an extent that was not happening in any other point in human history, right? So this is a beautiful time to be a human. But the friction and the texture that happens, and I'm using friction here in a positive way, right? Friction is a sense of like creating warmth if you rub your hands together kind of friction. The friction and the texture that happens when people are in an actual physical room together means that there are off moments, that you're not always on, that there are times to deviate, there are times to go on tangents, there are times to tell stories, there are times to be more vulnerable. And you can feel that it's okay to be vulnerable, hopefully, because of all of those cues that your computer camera can't pick up on, right? In person, you can pick up on body language that says it's okay to be you. Hopefully that's what that body language is saying. You can pick up on small sounds. You can pick up on sense. You can pick up on eye contact in a way that this doesn't translate over screen. You can pick up on all these things and know whether or not you're in a safe space. Hopefully you are, and hopefully you can share some things that you wouldn't have even considered sharing in a room full of the same people surrounded by boxes. I think about a in-person workshop that my friend Heidi Parks and I did up at Madeline Island this last summer. And it was me and Heidi and about eight folks. And we just spent all day in the sewing studio or we hopped in the car and we went to the beach and did different things sewing there. You froze for just a second. Okay, you're back. Okay, do I need to repeat anything? Okay, I'm gonna go back just a little bit. So my goal for my community on the Quilty Nook is that we will use the technology as the tool that it is to take the relationships that we have seeded online and move them as we can into the physical world. And that's what makes me so happy to see different folks on the Nook getting together for real life sit and sews. You know, there's a group in North Carolina. I'm getting together with a group here in LA on Thursday to just say that technology while it can feel like a world in and of itself social media can feel like a world in and of itself and these platforms these communities can feel that way and they are in a certain sense but if we view them like a tool that humans have crafted that can achieve an even larger end for me that end would be deeper, more profound human connection between one another and deeper, more profound connection with our own creative practice. And I believe that happens best in the physical world. Yes, me too. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, there is some, mm -hmm, I couldn't say it better, but I had a similar experience at the retreat where um, it was amazing to me how seemingly easily people opened up and were vulnerable and things started to emerge from everyone in the workshop, a workshop that I've basically taught online too. And some things, vulnerable things would emerge online too, but there was something different, exactly what you had said, that because of the space we were in and the, the way that we could really feel each other's energy, that there was this Ah, it was incredible medicine for everyone. And at the end of the workshop, people kept coming up to me saying, I don't know what you just did, but that was amazing. I was like, that wasn't me. That was all of us. That was this. That was not me. And that really blew me away. It just the, the power of it. Um, 
how it impacted everyone and also brought everyone to a deeper place in their creative work. What they were sitting and doing with their hands took them to new places physically with the stitching and the fabric, but also within themselves, things were emerging and releasing that needed to. And then these connections and relationships were happening between people simultaneously. And all of this was happening, you know, and then it just kind of, oof, when it was done, it kind of floated away and integrated in these beautiful ways. So um, yeah, I love that you're dreaming about and already putting that into practice, put bringing the nook into physical being as well. Yeah. I, yeah, because I think that whether we are fully conscious of this or not, if we are looking at each other via a screen, there's just something about, it has a television quality to it, it has an entertainment quality, it has a one-way quality about it where it means that we can maybe back off or ease up on our level of participation and engagement with the event. Like if, if you're in a workshop, for example, and you're a participant and you're here to learn applique, you might think, oh, I'm here to learn applique. I am not here to connect with other people. And that's, and that's totally fine, right? That uh, sense of focus on just your learning is much easier online than it is in person. In person, it's awfully hard not to start getting caught up in the conversation and the human drama of the whole thing and the participatory nature of learning. I feel like it's so easy to be a black square and it's so hard not to be a human in a real room with other humans. Yes. Yes, and sometimes I find personally I want the square. I want to literally be able to turn off my computer and be like, bye humans. That's enough energy for me. And other times I'm like, no, I need that. Um, and it's, I have found it tempting because it's been happening for so long to rely on the screen for connection. And this, you know, it's so helpful to have these reminders for me like, oh no, it does matter. It, it is a need that we have to be together physically too. And that they're connected on screen, but they're not the same. And um, that's something that I keep like, oh, right. Okay. Even just like, oh, I can like, see, you are not, you're not two dimensional. Right. You're, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let's see. Um, we've traveled to wonderful places together. Um, is there anything else that you want to share? or talk about what's about holding space? One of the questions I'm living with is as much as I want this, the various spaces that I hold, the nook being one of them, but all kinds of space, right? As much as I want those spaces to be safe and welcoming spaces for everybody, I realize that not everybody feels that way perhaps. Or maybe it's not even safe as it is like, oh, that space just isn't for me, which is okay. But I look at the nook, for example, and I see that we are largely white. We are largely female and we're largely straight. And that's no shade on white straight females. Love you all, love you all. But how can we get more voices in the mix, right? Because until we get the collective voices of all facets of the human experience, until we all come out of our houses on the beach and start partying in the sand together, then the spaces we create are just kind of, they're limited. They're well-intentioned artifices of sorts. And that doesn't mean that beautiful things don't happen inside of them. But I, I guess what I'm getting at, especially considering, you know, I'm moving into year two now of this, this community. 
And so I'm starting to think about, okay, what are the next steps? What are my goals for the next year? And one of my goals is to broaden the welcome, make the tent bigger, fit more people up under that roof. And not more people necessarily, but to have room under that roof for all kinds of experience and that people feel at home there, like they got a space. And I also recognize that no one space is gonna be it for everybody, right? There's something really beautiful for me, for example, like July 4th, me and my partner for the last many, many years have gone to Fire Island to celebrate with a lot of our friends who are also queer mostly. And we have a great time because we can just drop our guard and we can just be with people who are, have a similar set of experiences and a similar outlook on life. And it feels so good, that fellowship. And so while I love niche communities, it's also important in my mind to create spaces where we can gather around other things as well. In the case of the Nook, for example, it would be around um, sewing and textiles. And so I don't know what that looks like. So I, I guess I started all that saying, that's the question I'm living with. So if y'all were waiting for an answer, I don't have one. But <laughs> but it is something that is, is, is important to me. I'm thinking a lot about it. And if anybody has any ideas, I would be game to hear them. That's a beautiful intention. Yeah. I. Mm. I'm living with similar questions with my community too. Yeah. And I appreciate that it's a living question. I like how you said that too, that it maybe doesn't have clear answers yet. Maybe it never will. Maybe it's an ongoing series of questions and play and experimentation and exploration. Um, I think one of the, one of the things that I love about art making and it's all art making, but textiles, that's my world too right now, and poetry, is that they seem with any medium. But what I'm noticing with the ones that I'm living in is that they do have this universal way of connecting people or the potential for that. Because with textiles, we all live with them. We all have connection to them, even if we don't realize it or think about that or create with them. There's still, it's this very universal um, experience for everyone. <laughs> and um, poetry too, I feel that way that um, as I discover it and learn about it more and more, I feel like, oh, poetry is really soul language. It's soul medicine. It's made, it's here in this, these human bodies. We have access to it. We create it for a very deep reason. And I'm really passionate about helping people discover what poems live inside of them, creating those spaces where they might emerge, they might peek out and totally surprise someone. And that can happen with any human. Um, so that feels connected to what you were sharing too about creating different kinds of inclusive spaces and what that might look like and be over time. And I would just say, yes, yes, yes. And if we're talking about holding space, I would say the onus is on the people creating the spaces to hold it. Because otherwise, it, it can get really tiring to constantly make your own space, to carve out your own little space to exist in this world. Not that it's anybody else's job necessarily. But how do I create an environment which feels like an invitation where there's room for you, whoever you are. That's what I wonder about. And so holding space, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It puts the onus on the organizers. It puts the onus on the hosts to actively create that space. And that space is co-created, but it's an active job, it's not a passive job. Yeah, and it's not, there's a dance I find that, it, because it's very active, but it's not about dominating the space. So it's it's really, it feels to me like this dance, this constant fluid dance that's never the same. It's always alive and moving and 
um, it's, it makes it a practice to me. Like the really, I have to show up with my whole being in order to, I think, do that in a way that is not, that is, mm, I don't know, that can really, I guess, hold the most potential for that possibility, that creative possibility to move and do what it needs to do and wants to do. Oh, Zach. Well, <laughs> we've been talking for an hour. This has been rich and deep. Really wonderful. Um, wow, thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Uh, I, there's so many threads. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with people and going back and listening because I feel like there's a lot to feel back into. Um, well, I think as we wrap up, uh, if you do you want to share where people can find you, how they can join your community if they're interested. Yeah, Emma, this has been such a beautiful flash. And, and not every conversation, you know, for a podcast goes like this. But there is something about the fact that you know it's being recorded that really can keep a conversation focused and can we we you and i together have plumbed plumbed some depths right in this conversation it felt like a very intentional conversation and i appreciate that um so yeah how can people find me zachfoster.com zach is z-a-k i do a lot on instagram every morning i post a little morning morning update you might want to find me there zachfoster.quilt and of course, quiltynook.zachfoster.quilt. Nope, <laughs> quiltynook.zachfoster.com. Y'all, Emma will put a link, I'm yeah. sure. You can find me there. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, thank you so much, Zach.